Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and a very warm welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood, which is all about growing up as a child in 1970s Britain, with a special focus on the role of television in our and our family's lives. Like no other time in UK history, before or since, 1970s television was part of the glue which held our society together, and our podcast aims to bring back memories of that unique period. Thanks for all your comments and for the feedback. Hearing from listeners from across the world makes doing this podcast worthwhile, and I'm really humbled by the fact that so many of you are listening, and that my slightly rambling reminiscences strike such a chord with so many of you out there. Remember, if you'd like to make a point yourself, or share some of your memories, you can do so on our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet at 70s TV Childhood, or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Really look forward to hearing from you. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the great delights I had as a child watching television was when the schedules didn't quite run to time, and the continuity announcer would announce that due to the early finish at the cricket or whatever else was on, we've time for an additional programme which would almost always be a cartoon. The ones held back for such occasions were often ones from the 1940s and 50s, which had been originally made for the cinema, like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, or Sylvester and Tweety Pie, all of which I loved. They were often five-minute masterpieces, put together with care and great production values, and the characters, invariably voiced by the great Mel Blanc, were really, really engaging. As well as the great Warner Brothers cartoons, we also used to get a lot of Tom and Jerry, made by MGM Studios. The Tom and Jerry cartoons from the golden age of cinema were brilliant. Great animation, music, and always funny, and sometimes with great sentimentality or pathos. One of my personal favourites was The Night Before Christmas, when, as the poem goes, all through the house... Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Well, of course, Jerry was stirring and getting into all types of Christmas-related mayhem with Tom. This cartoon was first released the day before the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbour in 1941. But I loved waiting for it to appear as part of the BBC's Christmas schedules. We don't see so much of Tom and Jerry on TV nowadays, as the violence in them was always controversial, as were some of the depictions of race, but they were of their time, and they always made me laugh. The Tom and Jerry cartoons were produced by Fred Quimby, who collected seven Oscars for Best Animated Short for Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yes, seven Oscars run by Tom and Jerry. 
but Quimby had little to do with making the cartoons himself. No, the two men behind Tom and Jerry were William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who worked for MGM for 18 years between 1939 and 1957, where, in spite of the success of their cartoon work, they never got the recognition they thought they were due. So eventually, they left and went on their own. For my generation, Hanna-Barbera is synonymous with cartoons. They produced them by the truckload, and the schedules of 1970s children's TV in this country were full of them. A typical afternoon's children's programming on the BBC would include a short cartoon like Touche Turtle, who regular listeners may recall that was the first programme I ever watched on our family's first colour TV in 1977. There would also be longer programmes like Wacky Races or Scooby-Doo, all of which had the Hanna-Barbera stamp on them. And it wasn't just the BBC. I remember ITV showed the Flintstones, the modern Stone Age family, and the Jetsons, the family of the future. It sometimes seemed like Hanna-Barbera had an endless supply of cartoons, all of which were targeted at the UK schedules. Now, don't get me wrong, I loved many of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and shows like Scooby-Doo, Wacky Races, and of course its follow-up Stop the Pigeon, were compulsory viewing in my eyes. But the production values in all of them were a million miles away from the delightful artistic skills on show in the classic Tom and Jerry films. So why was that? The 50s, 60s and 70s presented a huge increase in television audiences and, as a result, child viewers. So a diet of fast, loud and funny cartoons was a great way to fill the schedules. Kids loved them. Parents were a little sceptical and it made Hannah and Barbera into multimillionaires. They even devised a live-action show to package up several cartoons. Again, regular viewers will remember that we discussed the banana splits in our episode Size of an Elephant, where our guest Stuart remembered the show. It was a big part of um, Saturday morning entertainment. It seemed to run for years. It was in the, pre, the pre-swap shop days, if, if your listeners remember, Swap Shop being mm. the, the first of the BBC's efforts at a, at a TV programme that filled the whole of the Saturday morning schedules. It was bef- before that, it was more of a, 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 series of, a series of very disparate programmes, and the banana splits seemed to be a, a near constant in that. It was probably the, one of the more anarchic things from my, from my childhood, and, and having recently given the game away here, having, having recently re-watched an episode as some, some research for this talk, my memories are a bit more positive, as I say, than, um, than what my most recent experience has been. But it was, it was it, for the time, it was totally enjoyable. I must have watched it on colour TV, because I remember it being very colourful, and had a series of, of, of it was like a compilation of other programmes wrapped into one. So it, it was... It was it, I guess they were trying to have something for everyone in there, um, but they packed a lot into into twenty eight minutes or however long each episode lasted. Yes. So, which are the uh, they had cartoons? Which cartoons do you did you like in it? The Three Musketeers one is the one that stands out as being the near constant in there. But the the Arabian Nights was a, a series of cartoons about a a band of what was probably like an early version of, of Avengers Assemble because they were. <laughs> 
they they all seem to have their superpowers, uh, mainly around magic of different sorts, basically fighting against the evil sultan who had just taken over the the local city, which I'm assuming was 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 Baghdad or something like that. But that that one that one stands out because of this the nature of the characters and how someone could solve every problem that they they encountered via this various superpowers that they had. But there was that and and the three musketeers were classic, I think Hanna Barbera cartoons, which we seem to fill most of the most of each episode of the banana splits. In one of our recent episodes, I mentioned a cartoon series called CB Bears and described it as another low grade Hanna Barbera cartoon. And whilst I didn't mean to denigrate all the works in the Hanna-Barbera canon, I did prompt one of our listeners to get in touch. And I'm delighted to be joined by one of our regular listeners and also a regular correspondent to the programme, Paul from South Wales. Hello, Paul. Welcome to my 70s TV childhood. Hello, Oliver. Thanks for the nice warm welcome. I've been, like many other people, I've been enjoying your show since it first came out in back in the old days of 2020. And I think it strikes a chord. <laughs> with Did, you know, somebody said to me the other day, do you still enjoy sex at 50? And I said, yeah, it was very convenient. I live at number 49. <laughs> No, well, thanks ever so much for joining us. And thanks for your kind words there. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little place called Neath in South Wales, um, not far from Swansea, uh, Abertawi, as Welsh call it. It's uh, I lived in a, one of those new-built council houses, which I thought was very posh, and it had a... It had a bathroom and a toilet separate in those uh, in those days. So, uh, but it did never sink in. Um, it did never sink in a room with a toilet, which I don't think would be seen as very hygienic now. But at the time, we thought it was a nice little house. And then in 1977, because of tax reasons, my parents moved to Merthyr Tinville just down the road, about 25 miles down the road. So, I in Valley is always a good place to grow up friendly communities i suppose we are the last generation that went outside to play and we, we saw things like cold tips and um and ash tips as a bit of fun really we'd slide down them <laughs> and look at the weird stones and the, and the old bottles from the, of the pop factories and things of course um home in time for the telly then <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's good because I think I, mean, I think this is what I mean. Wherever you grow, whenever you grow up, childhood is about doing that kind of thing, isn't it? It's about enjoying enjoying life and making the most of it, playing with your friends, and so on. It is. So, so you mentioned television. What what part did television play in your childhood? Well, very big part, really. As um, television was kind of huge in in a literal sense and in a metaphorical sense because. The, the sets were so huge in those days. It was a big one right in the centre of the room. And uh, from when I was very, very young, I can remember watching the children's programmes, things like Finger Bobs, the colourised Andy Pandy. And um, it was a bit wet for me, to be honest, even at that age. And then moving on to Bank Puss and uh, lots of cartoons, uh, 
coming over from school, very young, watching Scooby-Doo and, um, and some of the ITV ones as well, which is a bit neglected and uh, would be, a, I think, perhaps an idea for a show. Things like Jamie and the Magic Torch, Shorten and the Wheelies. And, uh, and of course, the adult programmes as well. Doctor Who was one of my first loves. Top of the Pops, and I'm a big music fan. One of my first, I'd say one of my first crushes were Pam's People and Legs and Co. The person who scared me the most in those, in, in those days when I was about three or four was Russell Mayel of Sparks with a Hitler moustache. Oh, yes. All of the camera. And they used to run out through the room when he came in. <laughs> Nowadays, I like well, his music. I've seen, I've, seen him re- I've seen him recently. recently. It's still quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sure we've still got that luck. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's, um, that sounds good. I mean, I, I, you've been in touch on a number of subjects and we've exchanged our views on a few things. But one thing um, in particular is you pulled me up on my reference to the CB Bears recently. And my description yeah. is of that as being a low grade Hanna Barbera cartoon. And it wasn't meant as any kind of disrespect, but I suppose what it was, it was, it was um, there were so many of those Hanna Barbera cartoons on. And uh, I used to watch them all, obviously. But some of them were obviously um, more popular than others. And you uh, oh, yeah. mentioned that you, you were a bit of an expert on these cartoons. So how, how does one become an expert on, on Hanna-Barbera other than by doing what, what it seems both you and I did and watched lots of them? Well, I've, I've, read, I've read quite a few books, looked at websites, and it's, it's interesting stuff, really. How they started how they started small, copying the classics. I mean, it's a bit outside. I remit the first one because it was... They were copied 50s and 60s, shall we talk about Top Cat? Of course, there's a law to yeah. say it was called Boss Cat in all days in this country, isn't it? And uh, the Flintstones based on the yes. honeymoon, yeah. uh, Top Cat based on Bilko. And in fact, all the voices were the same, except for Phil Silvers, who it wasn't enough money for him, apparently, but uh, just <laughs> what everybody else in the hall, like Officer Dibble. <laughs> but yeah, great, uh, great little shows. But I'm interested in the sort of the more obscure ones as well, like the funky, funky phantom, the spirit of 1776, even. And um, and the, the ones that try to be spectacular, yes. and you think, we, we must be getting a really good cartoon here because everybody's in it. Things like Laugh Olympics to be topical. <laughs> and there were three teams, the Yogi Ahoois, the Scooby Doobies, and the Really Rottens, who uh, really Rottens were like by Dick Dastardly and Metley, of course, who I also enjoyed in Magnificent That's Men right. and Flying Machines and Wacky Races, of course. He was quite yeah. a popular character. Yes, yes, I, I used to love Wacky Races. Just going oh, back yeah. to that, I'm just remembering, thinking about the funky the funky Phantom. That's something I haven't thought about for a long time. And that's right. Yeah. He was he was an American Revolution. He wasn't in. Didn't he have a cat as well? I seem to remember. Yeah, he had a, a Phantom cat, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a gang fairly like Scooby Doo's gang found him in a haunted house. In fact, there was a song about it, and uh, he jumps out of the clock right. at twelve o'clock midnight. Ah, and, uh, yes, going to solve mysteries. That's another good uh, thing. Hanover Bear was they saw Scooby Doo in nineteen sixty nine. That's a massive hit. They were mass. Yeah. They were going to put in old wine into new bottles. Let's recycle the mystery, the mystery stuff. So. <laughs> They had a funky phantom solving mysteries. They had Gooba and the ghost chasers. Now, Gooba was a bit like Scooby-Doo, but think of a camp 
talk in Scooby Doo, <laughs> voiced by yes. Paul who did so many cartoon voices. <laughs> and uh, yes, I remember it, it seemed very, very close. It was far too close to Scooby Doo for my liking. Yes, we even had we even had a dog, and uh, although although I seem to remember that they did actually have actual ghosts in Google. They did, yeah, and it it wasn't all caused by a grumpy caretaker and millions of pounds in back projection, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) yeah, it was. uh, So they did recycle a lot, and there was the the slightly irritated Captain Caveman as, as well, solving crimes. Yeah, Captain Cameron, it, it is almost an endless list. I mean, um, just thinking of some of the ones that I, I remember, obviously yeah. things like the Flintstones, Yogi Bear and so on, they were made, some of them were made in the 50s, 60s, but then repeated yeah. again and again. Um, oh, yes. But still, still good. Yeah. And I remember um, one thing that I used to f- – I used to watch, but I wasn't sure. I could never make up my mind whether I liked it or not, was the cartoon version of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, that was an early one, yeah. I, I like the theme too, and a little bit of business just to their ties, but all in all, I, th- I still got a couple of the little books that cost about 10p at the day. But so all <laughs> in all, I think I prefer the originals. Yes, yes. So which one do you think was your, your favourite out of those? I, I would say Scooby-Doo, I've had... Um, a crush on Daphne for many years, and I, I did, I, I did enjoy the little bubblegum song in the middle, and they, they sort of um, delay the ghost, a shave, sir. They pretend to be uh, hairdressers <laughs> or waiters or something. Then, then a bubblegum song yes. would come on, and it was written written by people like Barker and Adams who wrote the Banana Splits theme. And, and actually, there's, there's a fact for you, for less than fascinating fact. The Scooby-Doo theme was written by somebody called Ben Raleigh or Rayleigh, as they called him in America, who wrote a song called Tell Laura I Love Her, which was a hit for a number one hit for a Welshman, Rookie Valence, back in 1960. So. Yes. Was it yeah. really? I, d- I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah. Tell Laura I Love Her to Scooby-Doo theme tune. Yeah. And it's that's fascinating. That's a very good, very, very good fact. I'm sure our listeners will be happy happy to know that now. Um, um, the uh, things like the Laugh Olympics, I'd forgotten. Yes, they they brought brought all these characters together, and I suppose yeah. it gave them because now what were the um, I'm trying to remember the the two dogs? Was it uh, Orgy Doggy and Doggy Daddy? Yes, I think they used to be Durante. Oh, Sanamine, yeah, yeah, Sanamine. That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> What, what do you think that the attraction was of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, the fact that so many of them are still fondly remembered? I think it was just um, slight, slight irreverence uh, because everybody from Top Cat on went to the kids in the mystery machine, say Josie and the Pussycats, who were fairly feminist for their time. They were all slightly rebellious. There was a hint of danger with all of them. There was a lots of silly slapstick mm. that children, I guess, could enjoy. And if you want a, a dissertation, it'll get you maybe a Desmond from um, the University of West Anglia or something. I'd say the thing behind, slightly lightheartedly, the thing behind Hanna-Barbera cartoons in the 70s was the Depression. Have a look at uh, have a look at some of them and you see the fool... 
the huge importance of food almost as a sex substitute, I think. Because yes. seriously, people really doing without food back then. And, and uh, the voices as well were based on depression-era comedians, people like Bert Lahr, the Cowardly Lion, Yvonne, and Jimmy Durante. And the women had that sort of... Uh, 40s, 50s, look, even into the 80s with the long hair, and, um, which was quite popular in the 60s when I carried on in the 80s. So that's my sort of critical theory of Hannah Barber. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So provided that sort of comfort, that um, that sort of following on from the depression and so on, given yeah. sort of the reassurance that everything was everything was fine and yeah. uh, reassuring voice and comfort to the, the viewers. Yeah, that's an important part of it, I think. Because at the end of it, they say, um, life is fun, really. There's no such thing as ghosts or monsters. You may be scared, but they don't really exist, and everything will turn out fine in the end. Um, oh, well, that's great. That's quite, quite a legacy for Hannah and Barbera to leave. It is, yeah. Of course, there were some that had morals in the bit ahead. So, sometimes they used to crowbar morals in, but sometimes ahead of their time. There was one called Yogi's Gang, based on Around the World in 80 Days, sort of mid-70s. I remember it now. They visited a city called Smog City, and it was all polluted, and uh, people couldn't breathe. And I thought, well, that's very, uh, looking back, so ahead of his time, 30 years, really. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, I do. I just now. Now you've mentioned it. I do remember Yogi and his team traveling around around the world, a bit like World in Eighty Days. But yes, yeah. the, putting morals into cartoons. No, yeah. I suppose, and I suppose at the time we didn't necessarily notice. No, no, it was quite cleverly done. Although um, perhaps we'd be a bit irritated by the really obvious ones, Ataman a lecture in Yogi about saving for a rainy day and things but still it was all well intentioned (laughs) yes yeah it was no that's absolutely great thanks thanks Paul for sharing your thoughts on that really good to have you have you um, and uh, hope we'll we'll talk again soon yes yeah that's um, joint presidents of the Wally Gator fan club talking there Thanks to Paul for sharing his memories with us. I should be proud to be a joint president of the Wally Gator fan club. I think what it does show is how successful Han and Barbera were in capturing that part of the cartoon market and giving us all lots of happy memories, even if we probably wouldn't enjoy any of them quite as much today. Were you a Hannah Barbera fan? Or did the likes of Scooby-Doo, the Hair Bear Bunch and Penelope Pitstop leave you cold? Perhaps you prefer the British animations that Paul was mentioning, like Jamie and the Magic Torch, or others from the marvellous Cosgrove Hall productions. Let me know on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet at 70stvchildhood, or email me, oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. That's all from me for now, so join me again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood.